Well, happy Father's Day and Lord's Day to everyone. It's great to continue to be able to have some extended fellowship time as we uh, come back from our time away from one another. I just It's such a joy to be able to be with one another. I would encourage you uh, to open up your Bibles at this time to the book of Galatians. We're coming to the close to the end of our study of the book of Galatians. We're going to be in verses 7 through 10 this morning. Now, just to be warned, after uh, the 8.30 service, somebody came up to me and said, that sermon reminded me of a Jonathan Edwards sermon. Uh, For those of you who know Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. So uh, you've been warned. (laughs) Hold on. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10 Paul uses another agricultural metaphor to teach a spiritual truth to us. A few weeks ago, we covered the fruit of the Spirit, and we were taught that just as you know a plant by the fruit it produces, you know the human heart by the life that is lived. In our passage for this morning, Paul builds upon this metaphor and explains that just as a farmer will reap whatever seed he sows, so too will we spiritually reap whatever deeds we sow. If evil, we will reap a harvest of corruption. But if good, we will reap a harvest of everlasting life. I think it's important for us to take a moment to reflect upon the fact that for many of us, agricultural metaphors are intelligible, but they're not relatable. What I mean is that we understand the concepts that are being expressed, but we have very little firsthand experience with the actual phenomenon. In our passage for this week, Paul uses a common enough metaphor of reaping and sowing. The modern reader can comprehend what he means, right? If you were to plant corn, there's no chance that when harvest time comes, you're going to get wheat. And we are even maybe in a better place to understand this with our knowledge of genetics and biology to know the truth that what one sows, they will truly reap. Nevertheless, very few of us actually have personal knowledge of raising crops for our own livelihood. If we want corn, for example, we don't have to make plans six months ahead of time. We don't have to buy the seed, prepare the soil, sow the seed, tend the ground, water, fertilize, and finally harvest. Rather, we just go down to the store and buy whatever variety of corn we desire that very day. We can go and get canned, cream, frozen, corn on the cob, niblets. We can get yellow, white, or sweet corn. Whatever we want that day, we can just choose it and we get it. This relationship with agriculture means that we might get the concept behind the metaphor, but we haven't lived the reality of it out in our own lives. And so we think because we can instantaneously get whatever we want that we can act any way that we want to act on one day and expect that we can just reap whatever benefits we might desire the next for example we do things like binge watch netflix and neglect our bible reading 
And then we wonder why later we have a hard time discerning God's will for our life. We're like, why is it that I don't know God's will for my life? I want to right now. Why can't I just choose to bear that fruit? Or we watch the news constantly instead of spending time praying. And we wonder, man, why am I so anxious about what's going on in this world? Why can't I choose to walk in peace? Because we don't just get to choose what we reap. We reap what we sow. Paul's aim in our passage for this morning is to encourage the Galatians to persevere in doing good. It's easy to become discouraged when you don't see immediate results. You can give up because it seems that there will be no return. However, Paul says that our actions will result in a harvest later. We are sowing seeds now that will germinate and fruit in the future. If we do good, then there will be a harvest of life. Yet if we do evil, there will be a harvest of destruction. We who are so far removed from the life of agriculture have to listen to this very carefully. In the day of harvest, we will not get to pick what we want to reap. We will reap what we have sown. The day of harvest is not like going to the grocery store and choosing whatever you please. Rather, we will receive from what we have done, whether good or evil. Now, some may argue that this concept communicates a works righteousness system of belief. Paul has just spent five chapters arguing that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And now is he undermining that whole argument by insisting on eternal rewards based on good deeds? Well, not at all. We misunderstand, Paul, if that is our response to his word here. Rather, Paul is communicating this spiritual truth that those who have been accepted as righteous in Christ and have been given the spirit of Christ by grace alone must now live out the reality of that spiritual life. The reward of harvesting eternal life is not earned through our good works. Rather, our good works are the result of God's grace to us in Christ. It is through Christ that we now have the good seed to sow. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved towards good works. We are not saved because we are like Christ, but we are saved so that we would become more and more like Christ in our lives. You see, it's a simple enough lesson. If you want corn, you have to plant corn. If you plant weeds, when the time of harvest comes, that's what you're going to get. And therefore, our passage teaches us not to grow weary in the planting of good seed, for there will be a day of harvest in which you will reap an eternal reward. So here now, the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter six, beginning in verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time and we confess that we ourselves and those whom we live among have very little experience when it comes to the concept of sowing and reaping. We are a people who have very little patience in our day-to-day life for we desire things to be instantaneous. We desire to gratify the flesh as soon as possible. And so we pray, O God, that you would use your spirit through the power of the word preached to form us in a way that we might have a vision towards the future harvest that is to come when Christ returns, that we might sow unto that end. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. So how will we have a good harvest when harvest time comes? Well, the first thing that we see in our text is that if we would have such a good harvest, we must first stop sowing to the flesh. Look down at verses seven through eight again, where Paul explains this concept. He begins by saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Now, Paul is seeking to communicate this truth that cannot be denied. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Whatever you plant, you will harvest. Now, Paul begins by imploring the Galatians not to fall into falsehood on this matter. He says, do not be Deceived. That's how he starts this section. Do not be deceived. Now, the deception or the lie that must be avoided is believing that we can act now without regard to the future. We can act now without regard to what will happen. Don't be deceived. You can't sit on the couch now and expect to run a marathon later. Don't be deceived. You can't put off piano practice and expect to play Mozart at your recital. Don't be deceived. You can't put off contributing to your 401k or however you're going to save for retirement and expect to have a comfortable retirement. And spiritually, we might believe that we can get away with such a life that is filled with ungodly behavior and receive a future reward. But we cannot turn our nose up at God's ways. That is what Paul means when we read in the text, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We cannot fool God. You see, we might be able to put up a false front for everyone else in our lives. We might be able to get away with fooling other people, but God will not be mocked by our ways. His ways are not overturned. That which we sow, we will 
reap. In particular, Paul says that if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. Now, to sow to the flesh means that we are investing all that we are in the things of this world, in fleshly desires. Earlier, he referred to such behaviors as the works of the flesh, those self-evident evil behaviors that grieve the spirit of God. Right. If you remember, he talked about the works of the flesh. He said, if you plant the seeds of sexual immorality, anger, division, drunkenness, idolatry, you will harvest corruption. Now, that word corruption that he uses in the text there means decay or death. Corruption is that element of the fall that was introduced into this world that destroys life. Corruption is rot, it is chaos, it is war. And for a period, one might live a life that is according to the flesh. A life that is contrary to the ways of God and see very little consequences. But do not be deceived. There will be a day when all the planting of bad seed will result in a harvest of corruption. Unfortunately, the stories of our culture seek to communicate a contrary lesson that sin can be practiced without consequences. For example, Paul talks about one of the works of the flesh being drunkenness. And unfortunately, the culture is telling our young people, when you go off to college, you can drink to your heart's content and be the life of the party and have fun with your friends. It's just part of the college experience. But never is the truth of the situation shown. We are not told the number of students that drop out in their first semester because of giving in to drunkenness. We are not told of the people that are injured or even killed by drunk driving. It's never mentioned that up to 80% of occurrences of rape, both parties have been consuming alcohol. When they show the fun of drunkenness, they don't show the ruined homes. They They don't mention the abuse of loved ones or of lost careers. They don't show the alcoholics hallucinating as they go through withdrawals or even years later dying from liver failure. You see, we cannot be deceived. We cannot sow to drunkenness and expect to reap a harvest of good. We will harvest corruption if we sow those seeds. And the same can be said for the portrayal of sexual immorality. Right? It's always romantic and freeing. Adultery doesn't lead to divorce and broken-hearted children. And when there is divorce, it's happy and congenial, the best for everyone involved. Premarital sex never leads to teenage pregnancy like in the real world. No one gets a sexually transmitted disease. Single mothers aren't shown in abject poverty, although in the real world they are five times more likely to live in poverty. We are told that the best way to live a happy, fulfilled life is to follow whatever sexual desire you have without a voice given to the destructive outcomes that will inevitably follow. But we are not to be deceived. If we sow to sexual immorality... We will reap corruption. And the word of God teaches us this. 
Not because it's seeking to be prudish. Not because it's seeking to be judgmental or to heap shame upon us. Rather, this is a message of love and a message of care. It's a desire to see repentance and to see life that we might not go down the path of destruction and death. God will not be mocked. You cannot flaunt his ways and expect to have a good result. If you plant the seeds of corruption, corruption is what you will have when harvest time comes. And some of these results are temporal, as we have already spoken about. But the full penalty will be borne in the future for our sin. For a time will come when all will be judged by the Lord. And those who have spent their whole life planting seeds of anger and division and drunkenness and sexual immorality and idolatry and the like will receive the full wages for their life of sin. Ultimately, eternal death, the pains of hell forever. That is the harvest that we are preparing for if we plant the seeds of the flesh. And so the Word of God is calling you in grace. Repent of such ways. Stop sowing the seeds of destruction. And in faith, turn to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was born among us. And He has now borne the penalty of our sins. He has taken on the punishment that we deserved. You see, He has willingly reaped the harvest of our destruction when He went to the cross so that we might have a better harvest, that we would be delivered from the death that we have planted and we might receive everlasting life through Christ Jesus. You see, if you would have a good harvest, not just in this life, but in the life that is to come, you have to stop sowing the seed of sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He has freed us from the effects of our sin. And He alone has given us power to plant the good seed of the Spirit. And that is the second thing that we see in our text. If we would have a good harvest, we must turn from our sin to the, to Christ Jesus our Lord, receive forgiveness and freedom from our sin, and then by the power of the Spirit begin to sow to the Spirit. Look down at verse 8. The second half of it says, but here's the contrast. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now to sow to the Spirit means to live a life by the power of the Spirit of God. It is to stay in step with the Spirit, as Paul said in Galatians 5.25. It means to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You see, there's a reason why some Christians grow in Christ-likeness and others do not. And the difference is what one sows. You can't just decide one day, you know what, today I'm going to be holy. You can't change your character with the flip of a switch. Rather, the Word of God teaches us that we must sow to the Spirit. You must plant the seeds of holiness and righteousness in your life. And in due time, you will reap a harvest of life. And the word of God is calling you to reflect upon your own life and answer the question of what seed you are sowing. 
Are you spending time in the Word of God, being shaped by its wisdom and truth and power? Are you spending time in prayer, sowing the seeds of daily calling out to the Lord? Are you sowing the seeds of worship and of praise? Are you practicing service to the body of Christ and to the community? Are you seeking to fulfill the law of Christ through self-sacrificing love to others? You see, when we sow to the Spirit, the harvest that we will reap is eternal life. Now, again, we must understand that Paul is not teaching a works righteousness scheme of salvation, right? He is not teaching that we earn eternal life by doing these good works. Rather, what he is saying is that those who have been freed from their sin through the work of Jesus Christ have been given the spirit and those who have the spirit live in and through the power of the spirit. Therefore, we have been born again. And we must live by the Spirit's power. We must sow these seeds. For in sowing to the Spirit, we are not causing our salvation, but rather our salvation causes us to live by the power of the Spirit. Now, it's amazing the technology that's now involved in farming. I'm ignorant of most of it. I have very little firsthand understanding of it, but I have a friend in South Carolina. He used to he he goes to the church that I used to pastor and he runs a large commercial farm in the area. And one of his major responsibility is to analyze satellite imagery of their farmland to determine where and when to plant which crops. You see, farmers don't just haphazardly throw seed around hoping maybe we'll receive a harvest if we throw this seed out there. Rather, they purchase seeds that have been specifically developed to produce a good harvest and they plant them in the perfect place to maximize their outcomes. And we, as the people of God, are called to start looking at our lives in this manner. We are called to take seriously where and how we begin to plant the seeds of the spirit. We need to plan well and ask ourselves, where is the field that God has called me to plant and what am I to plant there? Well, first, it is in your home. Husbands and wives, you must plant the good seed of love in your marriage relationship. Husbands, loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Wives, submitting to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, even as we are taught in the book of Ephesians. If there is anger and division and self-centeredness and abuse, you need to pull these weeds out of your life and you need to start sowing the seeds of the Spirit. Begin to read and discuss Scripture with one another. Pray with each other. Serve together. Give together. Make the purpose of your marriage to plant good seed in this world because where two are gathered together, it is better than one. So often in counseling, People who have been married for many years and are struggling in their marriage, they come in and they expect that in one or two or three or even ten sessions, we're going to fix their marriage. And so often, I think you have been sowing to the bad for ten to fifteen years. This is not going to be fixed overnight. 
You need to begin to plant these good seeds. And over time, you will reap a harvest of love in your household. Today is Father's Day. Fathers, to your children, you need to begin to make plans for how you're going to sow the good seed of the Spirit in their lives. Speaking the Word of God, praying with and for them, building them in the habits of weekly worship, giving, and service. Oh, the amount of planning and time and money that fathers spend on making sure that their children are prepared to play sports. For what? Six years? Ten years, maybe? You spend time, you spend energy, you spend money, you plan to make sure that they get to the right camps, that they'll be at the right place. And hey, I love sports and I enjoy watching my children play sports. But are you planting for them to have a good couple of years or are you planning for them for eternity? Because you need as a father to look at your children and say, this is the ground that God has given me to plant good seed. And I have just a few years, maybe just a few 18 years to plant in them good seed so that when they grow up, they will have a good harvest, a harvest unto eternity. So on this Father's Day, instead of thinking about what you're going to receive, think about what you might begin to do to be a better father, to plant the seeds for eternity in the life of your children. Second, you have opportunity to plant the good seed of the Spirit here in your church. To worship, to pray, to give, to serve to teach little ones in Sunday school classes, to lead a small group. You can begin meeting with a friend and reading the Word of God together. You can serve as an usher. Life in the church should not only be about receiving, it should be about giving. And third, you can plant good seed in this world. Your workplace, at school, in your neighborhood and beyond. Finding ways of sharing the gospel with those who are lost. Finding ways of giving and sharing that you may see the hungry fed, the sick healed, and the lonely comforted. Christian, God has not saved you and given you the gift of eternal life without a purpose. You have a purpose in this world. You have a mission. You have been commissioned as a worker in the fields of harvest. The mission that is before you is to go into the fields that God has providentially put into your life and begin by the power of the Spirit to sow as much good seed as you possibly can so that when the day of harvest comes, you will have a good harvest to reap. Because if you sow these good seeds, you will reap eternal life both for yourself and for others. To have a good harvest, we have to stop sowing to the flesh. We need to continue sowing to the Spirit. And the final thing I want you to see and be encouraged by is that you must wait for the time of harvest. See, Paul's aim in these verses is to encourage Christians, particularly the Christians in Galatia, not to grow weary in doing good. 
Don't get tired or burnt out. And the key to not growing weary is to look in faith to the future harvest. Look down at verses 9 through 10. Particularly verse 9. Verse 10 is more about those fields that we spoke of. But verse 9 here. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It takes time to see the return of our investment in the kingdom of God. And because of that, many people grow weary. They get tired of giving and serving and sacrificing for the good of others. And in ministry, it can be difficult to continue to serve when you don't feel like you've seen the fruit of your labors. It's a common refrain to hear church members excuse their lack of service to the body with something along the lines of the phrase, I've been there, I've done that. When we need people to serve in the nursery, when you ask for people to call our shut-ins, when we need ushers or Sunday school leaders, when we need people to serve with no walls or work in an outreach event, people will say something along the lines of, you know, I've served in that way for four, five, six, ten years. I've, I've been there and done that. Time for me to move on to something else. But we don't get to retire from the kingdom of God. Those who are wise don't stop planting the seed of the Spirit when the season is the season of sowing. Those who would be led by the Spirit must not give in. We must not stop. There is a day of harvest coming and the reward of our planting will be a great harvest of life. But we must set our eyes upon the goal of the appointed time. For it is not until Christ returns that we will see the true reward of what we have done. It is not until Christ comes that the seeds planted will be ripe for harvest. So continue without growing weary. Because there is an appointed day. And when the day comes, you do not want all of your deeds to be burned away, but rather that your deeds would endure unto eternity. So stop wasting your time. Stop spending all of your time on effort and effort on that which will be lost and start sowing to your heart. Start sowing in your home. Start sowing in your church. Start sowing in the community because you will reap a great harvest. Even as we read in James chapter 5, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Philip Riken tells the story of a man named Luke Short to illustrate how we need to be patient and look to the future for the fruit of our work to ripen. At the age of 103, Mr. Short, a resident of the Virginia colony, was contemplating a sermon that he had heard earlier when the Spirit of God miraculously opened his eyes to see the truth of the gospel. Right then, this old man was born anew. He repented of his sin and placed his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. 
Three years later, at the age of 106, Luke Short went to be with the Lord. And on his tombstone, it says, here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, age 106. It's a wonderful story of God's forbearance to keep Luke alive for so many years until he came to faith. But maybe even more wonderful is how long it took for the truth of God's word to penetrate his heart, but that God used all of the seeds that were planted in his life to bring it about. Just think of all the prayers that were prayed on his behalf, all the lessons that were taught. And in particular, the sermon that Luke Short was contemplating, for he had heard it 85 years prior when he was merely 18 years old. The sermon had been given all the way back in England by the Puritan John Flavel. And of course, now Flavel had gone to be with the Lord several decades before the fruit of his sermon was born. And we have to ask the question, why? Why does God make us wait to see the fruit of what we have planted? Because ultimately the harvest is not truly ours, but it is the harvest that belongs to Christ alone, the Lord of the harvest. For it is from His work of planting and sowing that we see a harvest come. For He began with twelve disciples. And those twelve disciples grow to seventy-two plus. And at the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of Christ was poured out and thousands were brought into the kingdom. And then ten thousands and then hundreds of thousands and then millions. And now throughout the centuries, billions have been gathered together into the family of God. And we are gathered now on the day that is coming, the harvest that will come forth when Jesus Christ comes in glory for His church you see the harvest that we look forward to is not merely our own but it is the harvest of christ and this must be an encouragement to all who desire to sow to the spirit do not give up or grow weary i know it can be difficult i know that you might feel as though you're not making a difference you teach sunday school and you're not sure if any of the lessons are making any difference in the lives of these children that you are serving. You share the gospel with your family, your children, your grandchildren. You share and you pray and you see no repentance and you call out to God, when, oh God, will we see the fruit of the seeds that we have planted? You pray and pray for the lost. You serve the hungry at the soup kitchen. You volunteer at Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. You consistently attend the second Saturday picnic with no walls. And you wonder if there will ever be any fruit. Will there ever be a harvest of salvation? Do not grow weary. Every good seed that is sown will have its reward. Therefore, we must wait for the great day of harvest, for the judge of the world will come and there will be fruitfulness. And only then we'll see the full extent of the life that will be born through God's grace and power in Christ Jesus. So do not grow weary, Christian, but continue to plant the seeds of the spirit. And in due season, we will have a great harvest for the glory of of Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer.
Oh, Father God, I come to you now on behalf of the body of Christ gathered here at Rivermont. And I confess with each of my brothers and sisters in Christ that it is so easy to grow weary, to get discouraged, and to neglect, to sow to our hearts, to our families, and to our church, and to our community. Oh, would you enliven us by your Spirit? Would you give to us a vision of the great harvest that is to come when the Lord Jesus descends? For we know that in that day, we will rejoice. For we will see that we who have spent our lives on Christ have invested well. And we will rejoice in the life that we have been given in Christ. We pray this through your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.